Thank you, brother. Amen. Let's give the Lord some praise right now. Thank you, Lord, for your greatness, for your power, your might. We love you, Lord. How excellent is your name. How wonderful is your name. How wonderful your word is, Lord. Hallelujah. More to be desired than gold. Than yea, fine gold, Lord. I thank you for your goodness. There's so many wonderful things that are happening here. And I definitely have been enjoying myself. It's an honor to be here with one of the giants of the apostolic movement, Brother Johnny Godier, and this great church. Amen. And we are truly honored to be here, Brother Godier. And um, I feel like I'm just a little guy amongst all these big guys and, and uh, you know, and, uh, but I am truly honored that he would ask me to come. I'm not the son of a preacher. I'm just the son of God and just have a tremendous passion for God and the things of God. And last night, of course, the word of God that came through Brother Copeland was, it was just wonderful. I'm reminded of scripture that talks about that the testimonies of the Lord are true, making wise the simple. You know, you might be ignorant about a lot of things in life, but understand, when you first come to God, you're ignorant on how to live for God. But God, with his word and the preaching that you heard last night, when that is connected with the Spirit of God, it will make you wise. Making wise the simple. Amen. Now this morning I want to go to the Word of the Lord and speak on what the Lord's put on my heart. And I was reminded of one of my friend's Brother Phil White was assisting Brother David Gray years ago. And he made a statement. Brother Gray told him that Brother White remembered out of the same bowl, you can use the same food, and you can, you can feed the saint and the sinner at the same time. And I thought, you know, I, I like that. I like the thoughts of being able to, to feed different groups because every audience has different groups, different groups. You'll see that when Jesus ministered, there were different groups in the audiences. There were the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes that would looked down and from their seat of judgment at every word that he said. 
And then there would also be, of course, the disciples. And at different times, he would be moving in between them. And then, of course, also, when you look at Luke 15, there would be sinners there and publicans, the the rejects. But it didn't matter to the Lord because whenever you're following the Lord, he's able to feed who's ever there in that audience. It doesn't matter your spiritual level at all. It's all about getting fed by him. So I want to preach today uh, to saints and I want to preach to preachers. And uh, I want to give what the Lord's placed on my heart. I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Luke, the 17th chapter. And we want to go to the 22nd verse. Thank you, Brother Nathan Holmes, for following the Lord. That definitely was from the Lord. And we appreciate that so much. Luke 17, 22, and he said unto his disciples, The days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you shall not see it. Okay, now I want to go up and read verse 20 of this same chapter. Here he says, And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Now I want you to understand, this is the audience that is there. And here you'll notice the first subject matter is about the kingdom of God. The second subject that he will talk to his disciples about is about the Son of Man. I think it's important to understand that each one of the groups had a different need or a different question that he wanted to address. And the first group is questioning the kingdom of God. They're Pharisees. So because they're Pharisees, they're thinking futuristic. They're looking to the future. And they're thinking about the final days where God will set up his kingdom. Jesus blows their mind and says that the kingdom of God is already present with them, and it, it's where it is right there. It is within you. Now, I think that's important because what that does is that lays down the foundation that we understand the already but not yet, that what God's kingdom is here, God's spirit is here, God's going to do something right here today. God's going to do something in your life. You have the potential within you to see miracles, the potential within you to see blinded eyes open. It's all within you. The power of God is right there. Amen. It's within you. And so as he addresses the disciples, though, he goes to this subject, the Son of Man and His coming and begins to speak futuristic. 
It's kind of like a reversal. And he's flipping back and giving different answers to questions. So let's continue on here and let's look. 22 again, and he said unto his disciples, The day will come that ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. Why? Well, you're going to be dead. And, uh, you know, he's basically letting them know that you're going to die. You probably won't see my coming. But that didn't stop them from believing it was coming right then. Okay? Continues on. And he says, And they shall say to you, See here or there, go not after them, or follow them. For as lightning that lighteth out of one part under heaven, shineth into the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered in the ark. The flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also, it was, at the, was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day that the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he that shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in the bed, one shall be taken, the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together, and one will be taken, the other left. Two men shall be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. And I want to preach this afternoon on this subject, How to Save Your Family in the last days. How to save your family in the last days. How many believe we're in the last days? Pray like you believe we're in the last days right now that God would anoint us. Father, I believe without a shadow of a doubt we are in the last days. I believe without a shadow of a doubt, God, that you are here and that you want to move. I believe, God, that your word is anointed. I, I pray, God, that you would anoint my lips. And I pray that you would anoint the hearts of men and women and, that are here today. I pray, God, that somehow, God, I'll be able to deliver what you've placed in my heart. I ask it, God, in your great name. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated. How to save your family in the last days. I think it's important to understand that when we look in the Gospels that some of the scripture that we usually have a tendency to go to and look at talking about the last days is what is known as the Olivet Discourse. And you can find the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. And uh, it's 
there that Jesus addresses his disciples and their questions. When shall, as talking about the destruction of the temple, that of course caught their attention. And he lets them, they ask the question, when shall this be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? They are extremely interested in the destruction of the temple uh, because the temple is the main thing. It's the thing that gives them identity. It is, uh, it is their, the focus point that they, that they look to. It, it directs their life. It directs everything. And, and so they are very, very shocked when he makes that statement. And uh, when you continue on reading in Matthew 24, you'll see that uh, he will go in and he'll mention a number of things. He'll mention, of course, give, give different signs. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, when there are earthquakes in various or divers, meaning various places, when there's pestilence, when kingdom is rising against kingdom, and nation against nation. All of those things are signs that begin to tell us about the season. And when we, as preachers, preach, the tendency that we have is to go to those things to uh, literally open up the eyes of our hearer to somehow let them see we're in the last days. So we'll talk about the violence that we are experiencing. We'll talk about the wars. We'll give statistics about earthquakes, etc. But in all reality, we miss perhaps the most important thing that is a sign of the last days. And Jesus, when he begins to speak, begins to let us know what that sign is. Understand that when Jesus would speak, realize this, what he would speak often at first was the most important. And the first thing that he brought up was not wars and rumors of wars and nation and kingdoms, but he brought up deception. That the greatest danger of the end time is do not be deceived. That deception... False Christ is the number one thing that will is a sign to let you know that we are in the last days. Let me tell you, friend, I believe without a shadow of a doubt, I see deception happen all over the Pentecostal world, all over the apostolic Pentecostal world. That's a sign that lets me know I'm in the last days and I'm going to hold on and I am going to make it. Amen. Hallelujah. Because you see... A war will do nothing more than destroy my body. An earthquake will do nothing more than destroy my body. Disease will do nothing more than, friend, destroy my body. But deception will do what? It'll destroy my soul. I've got to make it to heaven. Hallelujah. I don't care what happens to this body, but I got to protect that soul. I got to protect that inner man. Maybe seated. It's very important that you understand that. 
especially if you're a young person here today. I pray that somehow I could pour that into you. That you would realize that what your your generation, your postmodernistic generation is struggling with is deception. You need to understand, friend, stand on the word of God. Stand on it. Amen. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. You got to get something in you that you love this book. You got to get something in you that you're going to live this book. You've got to understand, this has got to be desired more than gold. It's got to be desired more than fine gold. You've got to realize, this is sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. If not, you'll be deceived. You may be seated. So, Jesus... If we were reading Matthew, this portion of scripture that I'm looking at, that in all reality, I'm not going to actually preach totally this text, but it, it, it gives some information that I need to be able to build what the God's given to me. And... If you would read Matthew, you would find out that he does bring up the subject of Noah. He does bring up the subject of Noah when talking about the end times there in his Olivet Discourse. Luke chooses not to bring up that subject there. He chooses it. He chooses to bring the subject, not when he's at Jerusalem, but on the journey to Jerusalem. If you read the book of Luke, you would find out that the key verse that starts this whole process is a process that begins in chapter 9. And there, all of a sudden, Jesus begins to speak, and there it just describes uh, uh, what goes on, that what should happen in verse uh, 51. Here Luke describes, and it came to pass that when uh, time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. From that point there till there, Luke 19 all of this is the journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. These are called by theologians the travel narration. And they begin to give different subjects that Jesus is teaching to the group that is following him. Yes, you will see there are sinners and Luke 15, when he begins to talk about, they draw nigh when he begins to give the parable of the, the, the sheep and the coin and the lost son. They readily receive that. There is also the Pharisees there and the disciples in this group of mixed multitude. They are following the Lord. 
You need to understand Israel even had a mixed multitude that was following them. There'll always be a mixed multitude. But you got to make up in your mind, am I going to be a sinner or am I going to be a disciple? You got to make up your mind. Are you going to be a Pharisee that is sitting in judgment and judging everything and looking down my nose at everybody? Or am I going to be a disciple that says, only you have the words of eternal life. Where do we go to? And so this journey begins with a face that is set like a flint. A face that is steadfast. A face that realizes I have one purpose. And my purpose is to be lifted up. The first lifting will be upon a cross. But once that is lifted up, hallelujah, there will be a second lifting. That is the ascension where all of a sudden the flesh that had been submitted, the flesh, there's never been flesh like that, that was submitted totally to the will of the Father. That's what gave him the right to be able to do what? Uh, to ascend up. Because even though it was going to be painful, even though it was going to hurt, even though it was going to be lonely, even though, friend, there was going to be rejection, there was going to be what? Uh, belittling by people towards him. Even though all that would go on, that flesh submitted to that spirit and said, I live for your purpose. And there that flesh sent it up because it was submitted. We have the potential here today to be trophies in God's kingdom. If we can do just exactly what Paul says there in Ephesians. That what? Understand. You show to the heavenlies. Hallelujah. What the wisdom of God looks like. And the mercy of God. You have the potential to become a trophy of God. If you're willing to submit your flesh to the will of God. The, the, the work of God in your life. They're there following. They're following. They're listening to everything. And now we jump here and see that all of a sudden these Pharisees ask about the coming kingdom. When's it going to come? He said, you're not going to find it with observation. You're, you can't say, well, it's here and it's there. It's within you. <laughs> it's within you. 
the reign of God's rule is within me. God's God's presence, the place where the king lives, is inside that kingdom. It's right there. What's he talking about? He knows we're Pharisees. He knows we believe in resurrection. The last, what's he talking about? That's the mark of of uh, of the last one of the marks, the resurrection. turns to them and then to his disciples and now introduces the subject of the Son of Man. The subject matter is the same even though the terminology is different. Like I said, it's the already but not yet. The subject matter is now the kingdom But notice what he begins to focus on. He begins to focus on his return. He begins to focus on that. And he begins to give us some information. He says, the day is going to come that you're going to desire to see me. You're not going to see me. Of course, he's speaking of his death. They couldn't comprehend that, but it would just be a matter of a few days. They wouldn't see him anymore. John would write, and they would be oblivious to the fact that he was talking about his death, and they just didn't get it. Well, where's he going that we can't go? And it would just confound them. Now he continues on and he says this. For as lightning that lighteth out of the one part under heaven shineth into the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. It's not going to be something that's going to be quiet. It's going to be like lightning all over the heavens. It's not quiet that nobody knows that it's happening. It will be suddenly. And all of a sudden. That what? Yeah, when he comes in his day. Everybody's going to know. Oh, yeah. They're going to look upon the one that they pierced. You don't know it. Realize this one thing. It's a big deal when the Lord comes back to establish his kingdom. <laughs> That's why we pray what thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What I want your kingdom to come right now and give us revival, live in my heart, in my inner person. But I also know the only solution for this world is for you to come back and set up your kingdom. I don't care who's president. I don't care who's prime minister. I don't care who's governor. I don't care who's senator. The only way this thing is going to get fixed is that 
Jesus Christ has got to come back and set up his kingdom. Be seated. But first, 25, he must suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. Don't worry about being rejected by your generation. That's the problem. The postmodernistic individual minister is worried about rejection. The question is, then you're going against what Jesus said. Jesus let us know, if I've been rejected, I'm your master, what do you think's going to happen to you? You better understand, it's all right to be rejected. Because even though he was rejected, there were disciples that believed and followed. Don't worry about the crowd. Don't worry about, friend, the numbers. Understand this one thing. We might be rejected by some, but we will be received by others. Be seated. When you're worried about rejection, you're always worried about presentation. You don't like certain songs. You don't like it's all in Him. It's all in Him. The fullness of the Godhead. It's all. You don't like that stuff. You want Hill songs. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you you, you got to have mercy, me. Uh, what in the world? You got this thing out here right now. I need a stool. What's the deal? You're always worried about presentation. You're always worried about presentation. So bad that you get this sucked up that you'll change your doctrine. You're worried about presentation, so, well, I'll just let go on the holiness, and I won't preach it. They are so foolish. I really want to say they're a fool, but I, I'm saying they're foolish. And the reason is, is because they'll start struggling after a while of getting people to come to church. Then they'll struggle with getting people. Oh yeah, all of a sudden uh, service numbers will get less. It used to be three and then it'll finally get down to one. And finally, friend, all of a sudden there'll be none. And all of a sudden they'll be start worrying about money. And they're going to start preaching prosperity. And they're going to start preaching all of this other stuff. They don't understand that church attendance and faithfulness and holiness 
holiness and paying your tithes, that, that is all built on an inward attitude of commitment, of dedication and consecration. And when you preach and you lower the bar, you're not lowering it just in holiness separation. You're lowering it in church attendance. You're lowering it in finances. You're lowering it in everything. Quit worrying about being rejected. If you are, you're like the Lord. That's why it's all right. Let's raise our hands right now. Let's give the Lord some praise. God, thank you for truth. Hallelujah. Help me hold on to truth. Help me hold on, God, to truth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Now, he continues on here. He says, as it was the day of Noah, shall be the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, drank, married wives, given in marriage until the Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they brought out, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. Often what we have a tendency to do is to jump right there and say, aha, look, look at all the building going on. Uh Could it have been that what Luke was actually also, maybe what he was saying is they were going about life Ignorant of the season. Were they going about life? Just trying to put food on the table. Just trying to eat. Just trying to have family. You know, it's good to have family. It's really good to eat. Could it have been that what he was letting us see, that part of the whole idea of of looking at the last days through the lens of, of, of Noah and Lot is understanding that human beings have a tendency to give themselves to the to the physical and not to the spiritual. How come, you know, it always seems my belly rumbles about every four hours and it makes sounds. But my, my spirit is just always quiet. All hell's got to break loose before all of a sudden something says, yeah, I need something right inside of here. But every four hours, my belly starts grumbling and saying, give me some attention right now. You see, the spiritual man is very quiet. It's not until there's a problem in the marriage, a 
problem with a child, a physical health issue, a tragedy that affects our life, that all of a sudden we throw ourselves into God and his presence and his word. And so often, that's, that's what's happening. Could it be that they were just... One of the dangers of the last days is that you just get caught up in living. He also goes on. He continues and says, yeah. The same day the Lord went out, the lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven, destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Quickly judgment comes. Quickly things are happening. Nobody knows in that day which he which is on the housetop and the stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it. And he that's in the field, let him likewise not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Wasn't she just so caught up? Was it that she kind of liked some things about Sodom and Gomorrah? Kind of enjoyed some things. In fact, Luke is pretty emphatic that Jesus says, don't ever forget her. Keep her on a short list of people to think about. Remember her. One, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you that the night there shall be two in the men in the bed, one will be taken, the other left. Two will be grinding together. The other one will be taken, the other left. Two will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. What's the difference? One is just worried about the moment. The other one is thinking always about the future. One, even though they're working on the job, and even though they're working in the field, they're, oh yeah, one is just trying to get more and more stuff. The other says, the reason I've got this job is because God wants me to have money to provide for myself and to be able to help our church be able to see revival and a move of the Holy Ghost. Oh yeah, friend, there's got to be something in this audience today. There's some, they'll sleep. They'll just say, I'm here at East Coast. I'm here, I'm going going through the motions but there'll be others that will say ah, I'm here to get something I remember why I'm here I'm not just here for fellowship I'm here to get something from the from the word of God from the spirit of God I need something from God I can't go on let's just let us know in the middle of your job, in the middle of your life, you can still be focused on God and you can learn in the middle of the job to be whispering prayers. You can at school whisper prayers even though everybody else is thinking about all the other stuff. You can be thinking about God in revival. I'm sure not going to say the two men in bed have anything to do 
with being homosexual. That one goes. Uh-uh. So if you want to believe that, you believe that. I'd rather believe what I'm preaching. We got a secret. No. Let's think about this for a second. I want to go now to a second text and uh, look at that. That's in Second Peter. And we're not going to put it up there yet, brother. But we're going to talk about some things a little bit first. I think it's important that whenever we see in Scripture someone talking about the end times, someone talking about righteous living, ungodly living, you will see two families that are always mentioned. Noah and Lot. Two families. Both found in the book of beginnings, their story. Both families. Now the families are, are, the two men have a lot in common. common. Number one, when we look at their families, we learn that what? They both are husbands. Second thing we find out, that both men, their wife is not mentioned. Third thing is they are both fathers. The fourth thing is both men are father-in-laws. Both men live in a world that is carnal and ungodly. Number six, both men experience the judgment of God, not necessarily for their actions, but the actions of others. Number seven, both men receive the mercy of God. Number eight, both men are given supernatural ways to escape the judgment of God. The last one is both men escape the judgment of God. But there are things that are different. Noah's a father of boys. Lot's a father of girls. Noah has daughter-in-laws. Why? Lot has son-in-laws. Noah has influence, he has godly influence on his sons, while Lot has no godly influence on his daughters. Noah's wife obeys him, while Lot's wife disobeys him. Noah's daughter-in-laws obey him, while Lot's son-in-laws disobey him. 
Noah's family is saved. Lot's family is lost or destroyed. What's the difference? Why does Noah have influence? Why does Lot have none? Now understand, when we look in Genesis, and if we had time to look at the character of Noah, we would see that he's a a just man. NIV says a righteous man. He's perfect in his generation. He's blameless among the people. That's his character. Here's his actions. He walks with God. He does what? He preached or heralded the subject of being righteous. Well, Lot's different. If we look at Lot, Genesis 13, and it says there in the fourth verse that Abram and Lot went into the place of the altar which was made there at the first And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Look at verse 5. And Lot also went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Uncle prays. Lot doesn't pray. It would have been so easy, wouldn't you have thought? My... My mentor, my uncle, is praying at this altar. I'm sure he told him as they were getting there, I'm going back to the altar that I built at the first. But you never see Lot praying. It just says what? And Lot also. What? Abraham's praying. What's Lot doing? He's doing this. Well, I guess I need to start looking at those flocks and those herds and those tents. And I've got them. I got a lot of stuff, man. <laughs> Hanging out with Uncle Abe's got me. Oh, it's got me some blessings. Oh, this is pretty good. But notice we see prayerlessness associated with him. We see. He's uninfluenced by righteous living. Abraham's a righteous man. He's blameless. His uncle, but he's uninfluenced by that. We see that what? He's self-centered. Very self-centered. When he's Decision has to be made about the separation because of all the abundance they have. He looks towards the well-watered plains of Sodom and sees that tall grass, that valley. Thinks how much easier it will be for his herds, how quickly they'll multiply, how he'll be able to keep his crew not having to work so hard. And instead of 
submitting to his elder, he's self-centered. It's about me. Okay. I'll take the well-watered plants. You see, this lack of respect for elders is huge. This lack of respect here. It's, 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 it's big. This self-centeredness. This prayerlessness. This life that is uninfluenced by what? Righteous living. And yet, when Peter writes in Peter 2, look here what he says. Verse chapter, 2 Peter 2 and 5. He said that, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example to those that should live ungodly and delivered just Lot. Just? Righteous? No prayer. Not influenced by his mentors, his elders. Self-centered. No humility. Peter, what's wrong with you? You see, Peter was just looking back at the uncle first and remembering that when Uncle Abraham prayed for the city, he prayed, God, will you condemn the, ungodly, the righteous with the ungodly? And everything in Abraham was he wanted his, he wanted that family saved. He wanted that. And somehow, in the mind, then that began to go into Jewish thought. That what? Because Abraham prayed for him and prayed for righteous, I guess it was just. We'll just, we'll just do it. And Peter says, just thought. And Vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man among them. Oh my goodness. And seeing and hearing. Vexed. Once again. His righteous soul from day today with their unlawful deeds. You see, I don't know, did 
Did he have a praying through one day? I don't know. After he got living there, But my problem is, is you know the story and I don't have time. He goes to his son-in-laws and daughters and tries to get them out because they've been warned. And guess what? They won't go. He can get his wife to go. And he can get his two daughters to go. Most likely, he's possibly, what? Oh, yes. Maybe even physically having to drag them out. Because the angel's having to drag him out. But he gets on the, on the journey. And all of a sudden, guess what he does? He makes a bargain. I won't, don't want to quite go as far as uh, you really want me to go. I'll stay here a little bit. Just Can I stay here? You see, we're always trying not to go as far as God wants us to go. But realize this one thing. Sin, friend, takes you farther than you want to go and does more than what you ever believed could happen. And so what? His wife turns, disobeys, becomes a pillar of salt. Look at how low his family's gone. His daughters now, they get him drunk. And there is an insensuous relationship that happens. And two sons are born. One is conceived one night, the other the second night. And and the enemies of Israel that will be right now come from them. How much lower can you go? I mean, even the Gentiles, you would think, wouldn't do that. Even the lowest of the low sinners, don't pick up sex before dad. What's that? That's regurgitating to the lowest of lows. problem the problem is this the problem throw it back up there for me brother please verse number seven and eight and delivered just lot vexed with the conversation with the conversation of the wicked verse eight the righteous dwell among the seen, hearing vexed his righteous soul. What was the problem? Here is the problem. 
In the English, both of those words are translated vexed. But they're two different words in the Greek. The first one, in verse number 7, it means this, to wear out or down thy labor. He's vexed. It's waiting on him. The way they live, it's wearing me out. It's getting on my nerves. It's driving me crazy. And it's, it just wears me down, all the garbage of this world that we're in. I don't even want to listen to the radio sometimes because all the what's going to be said next or read the newspaper sometimes because of what's there. It's, it's just, it just wears you down. It wears you down. You're worn out by all of that. But, but it also, it, it, it does this. Uh, the second time, it's this. It means to experience mental torture involving sorrow mixed with anger. He is tortured mentally. He's angry and he's full of sorrow. He's full of sorrow and he's full of anger. Now I want you to look And let's go to verse 5. But Noah, and spared not the old world, but saved, no, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. One man saves his family. The other man doesn't. What's the difference? One man speaks and another is vexed internally and will never declare it and never speak it. That will happen in the church when the pulpit friend is vexed about sin and what's going on in our world and wears us down. But this pulpit's got to preach it. This pulpit's got to preach it. Families, parents just can't get concerned about what's going on. You gotta speak it to your children. You gotta talk it to them. You gotta correct them. You gotta let them know. As for me and my house, we're gonna live for the Lord. The way you save your family in the last days is you got to open up your mouth. You can't be intimidated. You can't be threatened. You can't be worried about being their best friend. you got to be their parent. Let me see that we're afraid. Today, to speak, we're vexed, we're upset, it's wearing on us, it's getting us down, we can't handle it, but we're afraid, we're intimidated, 
Oh, oh yeah. But not Noah. He's a preacher. He's a heralder. He's going to declare it. He's got so much influence that even his daughter-in-laws will get in the ark. He's talking it. He's speaking it. He's not afraid. He's not trying to be tolerant. Oh, no. He's a preacher. You know what's interesting? That word preacher there, you're going to look it up. It's a, it's a proclaimer. What? A herald, but notice of what? Righteousness. He's not preaching about salvation. He's preaching about right living. Because he knows if you live right, you will be saved. You will get in the ark. Let me tell you, the biggest thing needed today is not, friend, just preaching for salvation. But it's about preaching righteousness to live right, to act right, to walk right, to be holy, separated unto God. Seated. Lot, his soul is vexed with the filthy conversation, the lifestyle. He sees their lifestyle. He hears things about their lifestyle. There are some things Paul said it's even a shame to that we would even hear about the junk and the garbage that have we get inside that we have to hear in our heads sometimes. Let me tell you, you got to do everything you can to protect this mind from the evil of this world. What you see and what you hear, you cannot let Hollywood, whether it's on a phone, whether it's on a television, whether it's on an iPad, whether it's on a PC, an iMac, or a watch, or on your glasses, you cannot let unrighteous living get in your home and influence your kids you see that he's distressed internally he's tormented by the sight and maybe even the sounds of ungodliness He's tortured. He's what? He's he's got sorrow. What is it? Is it guilt? Why did I do this? He's vexed. He's tortured. Sorrow and anger. Is he? my own actions that got me into this place and now I despise it and I hate it and now my family they love it so much my wife loves it so much that you know 
I'll never get her out of here. Let me tell you, friend, that's what happens, preacher. When you let down and you leave, you might come back, but your wife probably won't come back. And your kids won't come back. And you might be like, oh, Lot, you might all of a sudden have a praying through, but you better understand your own pride that you thought you knew all there was. Your unwillingness to submit to authority and to your mentor, your elder in your life, cost you. Your family. Your wife. And Noah has got his wife. And Noah has got his boys. And Noah has got his daughter-in-laws. Is he ever accepted? No. He's never accepted by his culture. He's never accepted at all by those. There are nobody that becomes his convert except seven people. But you'd let one of them, friend, be wandering away from God and it'll rip your head head off. It'll rip your heart out. It'll get a hold of you. If I don't save anybody, I got to save my sons. I got to save my daughter-in-laws. I got to save my grandkids. Oh, God. I got to speak. I got to tell them. I can't worry what they're going to think of me. I got to understand. I got to save them. Understand the way you're going to save your family in the last days is you are going to have to be and have the greatest influence that you've ever had in your time. You need to understand, Barna says in his study of Christians, that the means of salvation for children under 13, he investigated, did a poll of numbers of Christians and came with this conclusion. 50% of all Christians that became Christians under the age of 13, they said their greatest influence, the reason they did was their parents. You parents quit putting it on the church to win your kids, Put, putting it on the youth pastor to win your kids. When you live something different at home than this man of God preaches right here and you want to blame sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so and you say, I got to get a different church, a different pastor, you need to put it right here. It's you that's gossiping. It's you that's being unfaithful. It's you that's not praying. It's you that's not living unholy they see everything you do 
Understand as we stand together right now. Realize this one thing. Your kids are not dumb, they're smart. If you've got dumb kids, it's because you, you've made them dumb. I got smart kids. They're smarter than me. Your kids are smarter than you. They see everything, they know everything. Oh God, I gotta save my family. This week, I came across an old quote that I had. I've been working on to memorize it. It's by Charles Spurgeon. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go there unwarned or unprayed for. I'm not worried about you praying for your kids. I'm worried about you warning them. I'm not worried about you praying for them. You'll come to East Coast. You'll pray, you'll pray, you'll pray. But I'm worried to award them. Oh God. Oh God, let me get around their knees. Let me beg them. Let me beg them. You gotta stay. You gotta stay. You gotta stay close to God. You gotta stay. Don't leave. If you go to hell, it's not because I didn't warn you. I'm trying to save you. I love you. The problem is we love ourselves more than our kids. We love ourselves. We're more worried about what they'll think about us. We're worried about ourselves. That's why we won't correct them. We won't correct them. I, I don't want that attitude. I don't have to deal with that attitude. I don't have to deal with that stuff. And so we save ourselves at the cost of our kids. How do you save your family in the end times? You open your mouth and with love. Put yourself around their knees and you implore them. You gotta be saved. Jesus is coming, it's the last day. I gotta tell you, you're not doing right. 
You're not living right. You're hanging with the wrong crowd. You're doing the wrong stuff. I'm looking for some people today that want their kids saved. I don't want you just to come and pray. But this is why I want you to pray. I want you to pray the first prayer request of the church. The first prayer request of the church in the book of Acts was this. A prayer for boldness. That's what we need a prayer of today. Come right now. Those that want to pray for boldness for their family. Come right now. Find you a place around this altar right now. I want you to pray. Just don't pray for their salvation. I want you to pray for boldness and wisdom. I want you to pray for boldness and wisdom. Come as close as you can. All over this place, come as close as you can. Come as close as you can. If they go to hell, they're going to have to leap over my body. If they go to hell, they're going to be dragging me. I'm holding on. I'm staying. I've given it everything i got. That's it. That's it. Reach out right now. Pray. Pray. Make me bold. Make me bold. Make me bold. Give me boldness. Oh, 